Life here is routinely visited by cataclysm. Killer typhoons that strike several times a year. Bandit insurgencies that never end. Somnolent mountains that one day decide to wake up. The Philippines isn't like China or Brazil, whose mass might absorb the trauma. This is a nation of scattered rocks in the sea. When disaster hits, the place goes under for a while. Then it resurfaces, and life proceeds. Alex Tizon. Welcome to this week's episode of Warfare, Advancement, and Revisionism. My name is Preston Floyd, and as always, I am your host. I'd like to thank you all for joining me this week. Uh, I hope you will enjoy this episode, and I hope last week's episode uh, was enjoyable uh, for you as well. Uh, I may have a number of listeners just starting this week. I had a huge number of downloads for this past couple of days. Uh, been stunned um, already over a hundred in well almost over 150 in uh, June already so I'm, I'm I'm very shocked but I do thank everyone for listening and sharing and subscribing and all that good stuff so this week we are going to leave Southeast Asia behind after discussing uh, the Philippines then we will move north to each yeah excuse me we will move north to East Asia um, we will, though, stay close to the sea and talk about human development of groups in what is now Taiwan, Hainan, Guangdong, Guangxi, and Fujian. Um, and uh, I can't guarantee we'll get to all those places this week. I'm thinking we'll probably just cover the Philippines and Taiwan. Um, but that is what you can look forward to next week. And uh, we maybe do a little bit more than that, but we will have to see how long um, that takes both this week and next week. For now, though, I want to start uh, with the Philippines and then shift to Taiwan. Now, I did have a little bit of feedback because last week I made it sound like uh, Southeast Asia is done. Uh, Technically speaking, I think the UN considers the Philippines as part of Southeast Asia in general. It's usually grouped there for a lot of things. Um, but in studying uh, stuff for this uh, season's episode and for the next little bit of episodes, uh, the Philippines kind of stands alone in certain situations and in certain cases. And I think it could be argued that it, at times, has fallen more in the East Asian sphere than rather the Southeast Asian sphere. So it, it's kind of a very unique situation. And I kind of wanted to give it its own... Uh, I guess spotlight or at least most of a spotlight for an episode Um, but uh, so let's just go ahead and get into the meat of this episode and I hope while talking about this you might understand why my thoughts become you might my you might understand why I think the way I do about this it hopefully will illuminate what I'm thinking now the Philippines or at least the modern country of the Philippines, contains over 7,000 islands of varying size. Um, The two largest being Mindanao in the south and Luzon in the north. Now, I'm not going to dive too much into etymology, too much now, uh, but Luzon's name came from a Tagalog word, uh, Lusong, uh, which was just a large stone vat that rice was placed in to be deshelled. Um, Mindanao comes from a Spanish corruption of uh, Maguindanao, Maguindanao, perhaps a 
better pronunciation for it. Uh, these were the ruling ethnic group of a sultanate located on the island as the Spanish began to uh, kind of explore and colonize uh, the region. Uh, both the vessel and the people gave their names to these islands uh, do not exist at the point we're talking about. Uh, agriculture and rice won't reach this island for another couple of thousand years. And then, um, of course, uh, while the ancestors of the uh, Maguidanao may arrive within the next couple of episodes focusing on this region, uh, they will not be uh, a sultanate and uh, their identity as a unified group may not exist for almost even longer perhaps than agriculture getting to the island. It is hard to say, at least from the research I've done so far. I'm sure it'll become clearer as I go further down uh, in the timeline. Uh, now, like the islands of the rest of Southeast Asia, the rising sea levels no doubt affected uh, humans living on the chain. Uh, though, from most models I've seen, not quite as much as you might expect. Uh, the islands were never a single landmass while Homo sapiens have been colonizing it. Though some la landmasses today, or islands today, are separated by the sea, were connected. Um, for instance, the island of Mindoro uh, never appears to have been connected to nearby Luzon, which uh, has also remained an island for, I think, over two million years. Uh, then you have the island of Palawan. Uh, it was never directly connected to the other major islands in the Philippines change, though it probably did have a land bridge to Borneo for a brief period, um, either right before Homo sapiens started colonizing it or during that period. And of course, the less uh, vast sea uh, made travel uh, to the island easier. Um, and there may have been land routes connecting islands south of Luzon to Mindanao, though how easy these routes were to traverse, I don't think we can say. It's a very mountainous group of islands. Uh, now, Palawan is the island in the Philippines that has the oldest evidence of Homo sapien habitation. Um, now, Homo erectus also made it to this region, but that was much, much earlier. And there's also the mystery of another hominid known as uh, Homo luzonensis, uh, which, as you can tell from the name, it means man of Luzon or man from Luzon. Um, uh, the first fossils of this species were thought to have been uh, Homo sapien because all they found were finger or foot and teeth bones, and they were almost identical to a modern human's. Um, but eventually more remains had been found, and they showed that they were a distinct species. Um, their exact lineage is debated, uh, but the most commonly accepted theory is that they were primarily descended from Homo erectus, who had become isolated during one of the periods where the island was um, more isolated due to rising sea levels. Though, of course, it should go without saying that most experts doubt it is, you know, something that is quite as easily explained as all that. It's probably a lot more complicated. Um, because similar to uh, uh, Homo florensis on the island of Flores in modern Indonesia, this species appears to have developed 
insular dwarfism, uh, with the adults measuring only around four feet tall, which is, uh, I think, uh, about 122 centimeters. Um, however, that's, however, that species arose, they appear to have died out before Homo sapiens arrived in the region. And that's true both for Homo uh, luzonensis and Homo uh, floriensis. Uh, though, again, I guess that can't be said for certain because it, you know, it may have happened, you know, slightly later. Again, with the tropical environments we're dealing with, some of this stuff is hard to determine 100%. And uh, because of the environment, artifacts can be a lot harder to find as well as organic material. Um, yeah, so just keep that in mind. Uh, and DNA testing has been attempted on these bones, but no viable samples have been found in any, uh, or either Luzonensis or Florensis uh, skeletons. But I'm, I'm getting off topic, excuse me. Uh, Palawan. Um, the origin of Palawan's name isn't exactly clear, and really the only location I found where the subject was explicitly mentioned was on the general information page for the provincial government of Palawan's website. Uh, they say that the name is related to the Chinese Palauyu, which means land of the beautiful safe harbor, and or it is related to the Spanish uh, para, uh, Paraqua, which is an umbrella. Uh, the website claims that on a map, that island looks like a closed umbrella. Now, there is a third option that I found, and I'm surprised it wasn't mentioned at all as a possibility. Um, on Singapore's uh, Infopedia, which is a website run by the government of Singapore, it's not just a wiki clone. It, it is actually maintained by uh, the Singaporese government. Uh, they have uh, an article from a professor, Korkok Kang, uh, and it says that the name comes from the Malay word Palawan, which can mean hero or war leader. Now, Singapore has a few small islands next to their primary uh, city or major island uh, that use this in, in their name. Um, these islands may have been home to pirates or very renowned sailors at one point. Um, and why this connection wasn't made by the Philippine government, I can't say. Uh, I'm not aware of any animus between the Philippine government and Malaysia or Singapore. Um, maybe the island has no history of a warrior or pirate tradition, so it was kind of discounted out of hand. Hey, no pirates were here, that wouldn't be... A reason for that to have its name. I don't know. Um, I don't believe there are any separatists on this island uh, that they're trying to discourage from forming an independent identity. Um, but I know that has been problems in other parts of the Philippines in the past. Um, but yeah, so. And I know I'm still digressing, but um, let's go ahead and talk about uh, the humans living on Palawan at our time frame. Uh, now, these remains have been found in the uh, Taban Caves, and these uh, remains, or uh, Homo sapien remains, go back uh, to, I believe, around, I want to say, it's, it's up to 50,000 years ago in the maximum. Uh, now, 
it does not appear to have been continuous habitation, but there does appear to be um, long stretches, uh, you know, from around, I think, um, starting around 2200, I'm sorry, no, 2200, no, 20,000, no, 22,000 BCE, excuse me, I don't know why I can't think today, uh, there was a constant habitation for around 2,000 years, and then you have, um, it out of use until around 20,000 BCE, and then uh, it is abandoned again after another 100 years or so uh, until around 7,000 BCE. Uh, and there's not too much in terms of um, progression to talk about in tools. There is evidence that you know they were bringing in stones from further away than what is found in the location. Uh, there's a lot of different uh, cores from different types of stone that you know, they'd have to bring in from long distances. Though how far, um, it's kind of hard to say. They didn't really go into too much detail. However, they do kind of have proto-ceramics. It's not true pottery. Uh, it's just kind of uh, you know burnt earthenware. It hasn't, hasn't gone through the full pottery process yet. Um, and also, of course, there is no, there's no real like numbers. Like it's it's still very small groups. Uh, so you know, most of the remains found have been um, animal bones, things like that. So they're still uh, hunting and gathering and butchering. Uh, and then after that date, the complex is abandoned um, until. Well, essentially, they're abandoned after that point. Uh, there are some of these um, cave structures in Southeast Asia that will eventually show back up in use for, like, uh, eventually later groups, kind of early agriculturalists or late hunter-gatherers. They'll show up and begin to um, bury their dead in these caves. Uh, it still upholds a very re significant religious... Um, or kind of ancestral meaning to the peoples that have used them. Uh, now, these are not the only caves that are occupied during our time frame. Um, that's just kind of the end of uh, Tavern Caves, occupation and use. Um, other caves on Palawan do show signs of usage that can be dated to around 8,000 BCE, so right at the start of our time frame. Uh, though I don't think these have been nearly as well documented or excavated just yet. Um, I believe they're called, um, I know one of those caves is called uh, Duyang, but I don't know the names of some of the others. Uh, and also on the island of uh, Luzon, uh, it's at this point around 8,000 BC or so, give or take, that other uh, Homo sapien sites show up in use. Um, I believe uh, Batangas, Bulacan, and Rizal are all locations that have caves um, that are used by Homo sapiens uh, during our time period. Uh, now, who these people are, it's not 100% sure again because of DNA testing. It, they haven't really, really been able to find too many uh, genetic sources to test. However, it is widely believed uh, that these are uh, peoples related to um, most of the rest of the P 
peoples living in uh, Southeast Asia at this point, uh, the Negritos, as uh, as they are collectively called. Uh, and it is certainly very possible that there are, you know, descendants of these people or direct descendants of these people uh, even today that live on the island. Uh, the pe the peopling of the Philippines is uh, kind of a controversial subject, at least in terms of um, which theory is the most accurate. There are a number of ones uh, that are kind of in vogue, uh, at least right now, but then there are ones that have been long taught that have just kind of stuck around because they have been taught for so long. Um, there have been attempts, you know, to, of course, do DNA testing for uh, people living in the islands, and that is bearing fruit. They are discovering more and more, um, you know, about, you know, how the islands were populated. However, there is no one large, 100% accepted model. Um, I think it's safe to assume, at least from what I've read, that there are a number of uh, Negrito related groups that got to the islands first and they're, you know, they are, you know, inhabiting the islands even as other outside groups begin to move in in different, um, in different uh, amounts or for different reasons at different time periods. Uh, we'll, of course, dive into all of that a lot later. Um, but for now, um, I think it's safe to say that, you know, there are still, you know, these ancient descendants, um, or, yeah, descendants of these ancient peoples that still inhabit the islands to this day. Though, I think, because of the nature of the migrations of people coming in, they're probably much less numerous than these people that will start coming in in the next couple of, um, I guess, groups of migrations into the region. And we'll go into why that happens uh, a little bit later. This is kind of tied into the whole uh, agricultural societies and all that. Um, but when we return to the Philippines, I'm hoping to do some more, dive into some more of the, um, I guess, the folk religions of um, the Filipino, uh, Filipino peoples. Um, they have one called... Um, Anito, or uh, um, there's another one that I believe is called uh, Diawism, uh, that's kind of also kind of indigenous. And that's something I think, uh, I think a lot of people will enjoy. So um, right now the Philippines are probably just now getting to be more populated by these people. Um, it was probably a little while before um, the groups grew enough on Palawan to kind of necessitate migration off of the island, which is why you don't see Homo sapiens on uh, Luzon or the other big Philippine islands until, you know, right around the start of our current episode. Uh, so just keep that in mind. Um, they won the race here, but when it comes to actual actually populating the island, um, they will not be quite as successful. So, uh, but just keep that in mind and look forward to um, our next discussion on the islands. Uh, for now, though, let's take a look at uh, Taiwan or ancient Taiwan. 
Oh, but before we begin that, um, I did want to say there are certain indigenous groups in the Philippines um, that are also have begun to exhibit signs of like insular dwarfism. I think some of the more recognizably ancient groups on the islands, um, I think on average, uh, their men and women are only around 4'11 and 4'10 in terms of uh, height for feet. Uh, so they are certainly smaller than the uh, Homo luzonensis, but uh, they, due to a period of isolation, probably did begin that process of adapting, uh, you know, that kind of uh, insular uh, dwarfism. Uh, but of course, things have uh, happened to kind of arrest that development of uh, agricultural, more ready, you know, availability of certain types of foods, uh, adaption to that type of diet, and of course, uh, you know, the ability to uh, get a little bit more genetic diversity in from outside groups uh, passing through the islands uh, has also worked to arrest that kind of uh, development, which is something I think you started to see in parts of uh, the Congo, though not all of it, certainly. Uh, but yes, now back for uh, or back to talking about Taiwan. Uh, let's just start briefly with the, uh, I guess, the etymology of the name uh, Taiwan, uh, and this is referring specifically to the islands, uh, how the island got its name. Um, Taiwan is not, I guess, the most common name, at least until recently. For a number of years, uh, while Europeans were exploring East Asia, uh, they used the Portuguese term for the island, uh, which was uh, Formosa, uh, which uh, I believe translated to something along the lines of uh, just beautiful island. And that kind of took over in all like European maps and literature, you know, you know, that's kind of what it showed up as. Um, the um, Another version of the name as we know it now, uh, Taiwan, could have come from a couple of different things. Uh, it could have come from uh, a place specifically on the island called Da Yuan, uh, which was... Um, I believe a place where the Portuguese had established a trading uh, colony um, or a trade port. Uh, it could also have come from uh, a name of one of the uh, Aboriginal groups on the island, the, the Taiwan. Um, now, historically, the name has had different things, different people. Of course, we've already talked about uh, Formosa. But um, there is thought that the initial Chinese name for the island was uh, Liuqiu uh, or Liuqiu. Though that is kind of debated, uh, that could have basically uh, referred to a number of different island nations, including uh, the Ryukyu archipelago, which if you sound them out, Liukyu and Ryukyu are very close. But there are those that think uh, Liukyu could also have referred to Lujan. Uh, it's not 100% uh, just because of the the vagueness of the directions given uh, in the books where those where that name is mentioned 
could just mean any island nation to the kind of uh, south and east of um, China's like main population centers. So it's kind of hard to say. Um, I believe in, right now in modern Chinese, uh, the characters they use to tr transliterate the name are, um, they mean Tower Bay. Um, now, I don't think, again, that's that's more for transliteration purposes, just so it sounds like what it, you know people have referred to it as. But that name has been in use uh, by the Chinese governments for a number of years. Uh, I think um, since at least the 1700s, if not earlier. Um, but that's after like firm establishment of uh, relations and knowledge of the island. It's not something that only traders would make uh, seasonal, occasional journeys to the way those earlier works um, would have described uh, Liu Chu or Ryukyu or whatever. Uh, now, uh, Taiwan had been connected to the mainland by a land bridge for um, most of the last uh, couple of episodes that we've been in this region. And I still think that that is the case. I think it kind of starts to fill in right around the start of our current time frame, 8000 BC, BCE. Um, but by the end of the time frame, it has fully become an island. Though I do not think that impacted life there too badly. Um, it seems like the people inhabiting this region are pretty good sailors, even at this point. Um they are the ones who are thought to have um, first inhabited the Ryukyu Islands. Uh, uh, and I think that happened at least around 30,000 years ago. So they have, a, they have a habit of being comfortable on the sea even at this point. Now, um, these people are probably... Uh, experimenting with agriculture much the same way uh, the people on the mainland are doing uh, and they are also uh, again probably involved in trade with those people and possibly even the people living in uh, the Philippines um, I can't see that for sure I haven't seen that explicitly stated uh, but I feel like if they could make sea journeys to the Rikus uh, they could easily make sea journeys to parts of the Philippines or even um, peninsular Southeast Asia. Um, now, uh, again, these peoples living there are, um, they're still ha have descendants living on the islands today. Um, they are known, I believe, they're, they're referred to as the Aboriginal people of Taiwan or the indigenous Taiwanese, um, what have you. Um, and as one might expect, they do have um, certain um, problems facing them as a group. Or maybe I should say that uh, these groups have uh, several problems that they all share in common because, again, they are uh, separate uh, uh, tribal groups. Um, and uh, how closely related they are is, again, something that is kind of up for debate. They all have their own kind of languages. Um, but that stuff we'll get to shortly. Um, but, yes, the, the people, uh, the aboriginals uh, inhabiting Taiwan um, 
how many there are is a matter, again, of debate. I think the last I saw, there was maybe 600,000. Um, and those are just the ones who have had uh, recognition by uh, the Taiwanese government. Um, there are a few different groups who did um, who did kind of uh, culturally adopt certain Chinese characteristics in terms of uh, things like language and... Um, um, I guess dress and naming conventions, that kind of thing. Uh, so there is a sizable portion uh, of Aboriginal people who have um, who had kind of adopted Chinese customs and traditions um, within the last you know couple of hundred years, and uh, now there is a kind of a resurgence for certain descendants of those groups to kind of be able to claim uh, their heritage. And I think if you include them, you're looking at about somewhere between 800 to 900,000 total, um, which isn't, you know, a huge part of the population of the island. Um, I think it would only be around 3% or so. I think uh, that's what they said. But um, it is something to just keep in fact that they're, you know, descendants of the original inhabitants of the island are still there. Uh, but they also, uh, the original inhabitants of this island, have descendants who kind of spread out from there. And they were uh, kind of instrumental in helping populate uh, parts of Southeast Asia that uh, the Negrito groups had not been able to reach. Um, and they would kind of, in many places, uh, come into contact with and um, I'm sure conflict but there was also a fair amount of um, just you know uh, non non-violent uh, intermarriage intermingling uh, and just um, influencing uh, each other's traditions uh, these people will eventually become known as uh, kind of the Austronesians um, which there are several different areas that they will eventually come to uh, colonize at different times. And, of course, that's all stuff we'll dive into later. Um, but that is something that will begin to happen um, probably towards the end of our next uh, group of episodes for this region. Um, but just because they are moving to Southeast Asia, that does not mean that that's the only place that they are um, interacting with. Um, they are still probably interacting with uh, their cousins in the south of China, or what is now China. Um, people in places like uh, Guangdong, Guangxi, uh, Fujian. Uh, and we'll talk about those people, I think, next time. Uh, so they, they're cousins to those people. And eventually, those people in mainland in the south of what is now mainland China or southern East Asia uh, will begin to descend uh, further inland in Southeast Asia, while the people here on um, Taiwan and the other surrounding small islands uh, will begin to migrate along sea and uh, coastal routes. Uh, and in some cases, they will... Uh, meet descendants of their cousins on the mainland and vice versa. And that's um, that's going to be a very big part of our next kind of talking points 
um, for Southeast Asia as a whole. Um, and if you're wondering how we know that these Austronesian people came probably from Taiwan, um, there were remains found on a small island that's part of the Taiwanese kind of chain. I think it's called Liang Island, where they found a, a human male from around 6000 BC, BCE. Uh, and they did some DNA testing, and he had a lot of similarities with um, a lot of people in uh, coastal or, uh, I, I guess, the littoral Southeast Asia, the, the coastal and uh, island nations uh, there. Um, he was an ancestor, or he shared the haplogroup, which is the male kind of um, descent marker that you can trace um, with a large portion of Southeast Asia. Um so he was, um, if not a direct ancestor, he was a cousin to several other males who were uh, predecessors for the modern populations living in the region. Um, but uh, yeah, so those are the uh, Austronesian-speaking peoples. They're probably speaking like the proto-form of that language. Um, eventually, on Taiwan... Uh, that will divide into a number of different um, subfamilies uh, known as the Formosan language, which I think right now there's something like, I want to say there's around 30 languages that are uh, indigenous Taiwanese languages. And those are the ones that are still spoken actively. There are a few more that are endangered, and I think at least uh, 10 or 15 that have gone extinct. Um, I'd have to double check my numbers. I didn't write that down in my notes. But um, just because of the very small, well, the relatively small region of Taiwan and the vast number of related languages spoken, um, this is kind of considered one of the highlights to show that this is where the language was born and evolved. Uh, this kind of um, large um, diversity of a language in a very small region. Um, and of course there are other branches of Austronesian that have been in places for a while, like the Philippines, that also begin to show you know, various uh, regional dialects that have begun to evolve into their own kind of uh, separate uh, languages. Uh, but I think that's a good stopping point for now. Um, again, next week we'll kind of follow along the south of modern-day China. We'll talk about the uh, cousins of the Austronesians that are living in uh, south, southern uh, East Asia. Uh, and then we'll prepare to head north to talk about um, uh, the great uh, Chinese northern plains and then uh, a couple of other kind of uh, peripheral groups to that. Excuse me. And then um, we'll probably move into uh, the Mong or the um, Eurasian steppe and then, uh, of course, Korea and Japan in time as well. Uh, but that's still a couple of episodes away. Uh, I hope you've all enjoyed so far. And I hope this episode is a good one. If you have any questions or feedback or constructive criticism, please feel free to reach out to me at waradrevpod at gmail.com. 
You can also direct message me on Twitter. My DMs are open there. Or, of course, you are able to uh, comment on any of the YouTube videos I have uploaded. I will check those. Um, I usually check it a couple of times a week uh, and all that kind of good stuff. Um, but, yeah, I'd like to thank you again for listening. And I hope you have a good rest of your day and rest of your week. Uh, thank you and goodbye.